0: We read the Christmas story and meet those people and never stop to think of what the demand of Christmas not only meant to them, but cost them and the loneliness they experience. This is Matt Woodley with Monday
1: Morning Preacher from preachingtoday.com. I'm really excited we have our guest today, Bishop Tim Clark, who's the senior pastor of the First Church of God in Columbus, Ohio, and bishop over the Berean Fellowship of Churches, the presiding bishops. Uh, Bishop Tim, it is so great to have you on this
0: podcast. Man, it's so good to be with you.
1: Preachers are, are, are preaching on Christmas, and it's this time of incredible wonder and joy and uh, simplicity and childlikeness and yet we do it year after year, how do you stay in touch with the the wonder and the the glory and the mystery of the incarnation and the mi- Christmas message. How do you, you, you know, you've been at the same church for 37 years, so you've preached, you'll be preaching your 38th Christmas sermon. How do you, how do you keep that wonder in your own heart and then to, and give it to your congregation?
0: Goes back to what we talked about when we taught on, touched on, and talked about the whole Linton Easter season and what that means and how the church can make those high, holy, sacred days, teaching moments. And the teaching moments, Matt, and this I think is part of the challenge and opportunity of ministry in this moment that we not only get to teach the church, the saints, the converted, the believers, I think we also, if we have the right attitude and perspective, we get to teach the world. If, if you think about it, the church is God's teaching agent in the world not only the equipping and the building up of those who are saved, born again, but also to be light and witness to the world, to teach them. It goes even back. I I went on your, um, your website and saw your church, the ministry that you have there. And whenever I look at places like that, I think of church architecture. I'm from New York. And so I grew up not far from Cathedral of St. John the Divine, St. Patrick's Cathedral, those mammoth, massive monuments of faith. And when you look at them, when you walk in, or if you were to see an aerial view, many of those buildings are in the shape of a cruciform, many of them, because the architecture speaks to those who pass by. They are silent preachers. Think about that. They are silent preachers, the architecture. And so even the way our sanctuaries are formed, I think the church has to embrace our teaching ministry, both to those within, as well as those without. So the high holy days of the church become teaching opportunities. This is particularly true during the Advent season with so much crass commercialism making Christmas something other than what it is. What an opportunity for the church in pulpit, in practice, among preachers and parishioners to say a word about what the Christ event means. For instance, Zacharias and Elizabeth, the loneliness of disappointment. See, we talk about the angel showing up, you're gonna have a child, John the Baptist, but how many years had she been barren? The loneliness of that disappointment. What, what was the loneliness of Joseph? in that crucial, critical decision, as he's thinking to put Mary away privately, to not disgrace her, the loneliness he felt, the loneliness Mary felt, as she as a girl has to deal with a pregnancy and public scrutiny, what loneliness. And here's the thing, Matt, on every pew in every church, in this season of gaiety and joy, are lonely people. Let's talk about the
1: real practicalities of Christmas preaching because it's an odd, it's a especially like Christmas Eve and Chris, or Christmas uh-huh. Day. You know, especially Christmas Eve. So, uh, first of all, like, so what what do you do for Christmas Eve services? Just tell us what you do, just in terms of how many services, when they are, all that kind of stuff.
0: We do a six o'clock Christmas Eve service. It's candlelight. Um, very moving, very dramatic. Uh, we want it to be that. We want to. We intentionally want to go for the emotion. Now we don't do yeah. it in a hypocritical or manipulative way, but we want we want the hymns sung. We want the prayers and the scripture and the sermon and the candlelights. We, we want the darkened sanctuary and the lifted, lofted candles wow. to say something. We, we're going for something. And we do that unapologetically. Uh, I'm in full vestments as, as is the pulpit. We want that moment to speak to the majesty and the mystery of what it is we're involved in. Yeah, so you say you go for the emotion. Tell us more about yeah. that. You, you want a feeling, you want people to feel something. Oh gosh, yes. Okay, oh, tell God. us. Well, I, I, I don't know, I don't know, Matt, why it is. Um, Disney World, Disneyland, um, Epoch Center, all go <laughs> for the emotion right. and charge you a bunch of money for the privilege of doing it. <laughs> they all go for the movies, go for the emotion. The church for some reason has capitulated to the culture and surrendered and ceded that ground to the degree, I think excessively so, that we almost apologize for emotions. So everybody else is going for it. We are the ones who have the most right to it and we've capitulated and surrendered it. I, I refuse to do that. That is a
1: that is a fascinating perspective. I love that. So,
0: how does that come through in your preaching? Well, let, let me say this: Phillips Brooks, you know that name? Yeah, Trinity yeah. Trinity Church in in Boston um, delivered the Lyman Beach Lecture series. I think Phillips Brooks has the most definitive definition of preaching. Preaching is truth through human personality. So how I deliver will of necessity be a little different than how you do, Um, and I'm saying a little because you and I have somewhat of the same temperament, and so your personality comes through your preaching. I I tend to be a positive person, hopeful, hope-filled, and that comes across in my preaching. I'm not gonna clamp that down. I'm not. I'm not going to allow the world to negate, marginalize, or diminish my exuberance about the message by caricaturing me with an Elma Gantry. Huh. I'm not gonna, I am not going i do not have to do that. And and let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Steve Jobs, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates feel no compulsion to prove that they are not Bernie Madoff or what was that guy? Um, Mike Douglas, was it Douglas that played that? Gecko guy, Gecko,
1: yeah, Gecko,
0: yeah. the greed yeah. guy, yeah, yeah, the greed guy. True entrepreneurs: Warren Buffett, Bill Gates. Um, none of them feel Steve Bezos. None of them feel any compulsion to say, "I'm not Warren Gecko." Yeah, I don't have to say. I don't have to say I'm not Elma Gantry. I'm not gonna let you allow me to become a prisoner of a caricature, huh. of a of a fictional personality and lose my voice and the opportunity to change people's lives. Preachers have to get away from that.
1: Wow. We don't have to apologize for that. We don't have to no, be defensive about that. No, sir. Yeah. That's just be true to what God has called us to be who God has called us to be I, I love that.
0: and celebrate it, Matt yeah. and it.
1: yeah that's that's really awesome so the practicality of your sermon on Christmas Eve is it different than a Sunday morning sermon in terms of length in terms of um sermon construction in terms of illustration or application how is it different if it is different than a Sunday morning sermon
0: Very much so. It is not as long. It's more of a meditation homily. Um, I may still have three points, but I don't elaborate on them as much as extensively. And it is again geared towards, so all, all of our preacher colleagues, our preaching brothers and sisters who are watching this know that there are pastoral sermons, there are evangelistic sermons, um, there are teaching sermons. You know, in the course of a year, we do different kinds of sermons, uh, different types of sermons, different genres. My Christmas Eve sermon uh, is really, as you said, much more pastoral, and I think in some ways I'll even say more poetic. Hmm. For instance, the um, Christmas after 9-11, you were asking me about series, Advent series, that I felt were meaningful. I think that sermon, that Christmas Eve, because I raised this question, can we still have Christmas?
1: Wow, good question.
0: Because the thought was, in so many people's minds, remember, september october november not that long (laughs) not that long should we even celebrate should we be happy bodies are still being found families are still in shock our nation is numb so i raised the question can we still have christmas and the way i approached it matt i started back with Christmas Eve, 1776, Washington crossing the Delaware. Huh. And I just went through various seasons in the history of our nation where there were Christmas Eve's that were dark. During the Civil War, during the Depression, December 7th, 1941, December 25th is just a few weeks later. Mark, President Kennedy is assassinated November 22nd, yes. 1963, December 24th is a month later. On the year of the space shuttle, 9-11, we can go, how many Christmas Eve's has our nation had that was sad and troubling? and yet we found a way to have Christmas. And I called the people to, to hope and to affirm the message of Christmas is not only still true, it's still worth celebrating.
1: That is really incredible. Um, I have never thought of it that way. I really like that. That's, preachers, that's a great sermon. <laughs> That'd be a great sermon for this year. Um, for this year, yes Yeah, sir. yeah. Um, we're in April but we don't know what December is going to be like but it's been a hard it's still it's gonna be hard for people um, so what about the pastor personally? let's say let's say personally you're going through some struggles um, you know maybe um, with uh, depression or maybe with just your sense of calling or maybe the church is not going well or you're discouraged or you're lonely or you've had some heartache yourself how do you get up and preach Christmas joy?
0: Matt, that's a great question, and I want to tread lightly here, but firmly. Sure. Henry Nowen, um, who's deceased, died very early. Um, His book on the wounded heel. Yeah, beautiful book. Anything Henry Nowen writes, people should read. Um, But he talks about it is out of our woundedness that we have legitimacy to help others. Christ, of course, is the prime example. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. He is the ultimate wounded healer. All of us as pastors and preachers, practitioners, have wounds in our lives. And it may often be, without being exhibitionists, that showing our wounds is what helps other people get healed. Mm. However, However, we must be very careful of two things. The first I just alluded to, becoming social media exhibitionists, Mm. which is what we're seeing a plethora of. And the other is speaking out of pain that we ourselves have not confronted, dealt with, and sought to get help with because many times, Matt, and we've all heard preachers do it, they end up bleeding all over the congregation Mm. because the wound is so fresh. You know that wife and I lost our oldest daughter two years ago suddenly and unexpectedly. I took a month off um, just because I knew I needed that, Uh, but the sensitivity uh, that that has produced in me, was a it's a it's a price I would never want to pay. I hope no one else has to pay it. Yeah, um, it is a pain that never goes away. Yep, but it's allowed me to to minister in a different way. Yeah.
1: Wow, that is. I'd love to do a whole podcast on that, just walking through grief and loss. You know, yes, sir. and yes, sir. Um, I'm sure what a wound, Bishop. Thanks for sharing that with us. That's. Uh, I just can't imagine that hurt and pain. You know for you and your wife. Um, yeah. And, yes, and yet, um, I just see the, the, the tenderness in you, you know, um, and your openness to the Lord Bishop. I just want to just sort of zoom out with one more question. Um, and just your work with the Berean fellowship, yes, sir. Uh, just give us a little overview of the Berean fellowship and then give us, um, just, as we move, and, and I, we might have even talked about this in the last podcast, but I'd like to talk to you about it again, maybe come at it from a different angle. And that is, as we're coming out of COVID, hopefully, it's beginning to lose its grip. And as we move into just ministry in a new era in our country, where our country is at, where politics are at, what is the word of encouragement or challenge that you would give to preachers? So tell us about Berean Fellowship and then what you're seeing in preachers, what would be the word of challenge or encouragement you'd like to leave with people?
0: Thanks, man. Berean Fellowship of Churches is really what it sounds like. It is a fellowship of pastors and churches that I've been blessed and privileged to provide visionary leadership to. Um, it is made up, it began as a fellowship, a gathering, a covering, a place of covenant and connection for a very specific group of pastors, pastors of small churches and bivocational pastors. Because I I have never been bivocational, mm. uh, and so bivocational pastors are my superheroes because I've been blessed to have staff, to be full-time, and I know how hard it is. I cannot imagine, Matt, a pastor who's bivocational. I tell churches who have bivocational pastors, don't ever say your pastor is part-time. Your pastor has two full-time jobs. I don't know how they do that. So I was burdened to say, hey, let me, let me, because of how God has blessed me, provide a place of covering, covenant, and connection. Well, it grew, uh, and we are pastors of very large churches in it now, Um, but our foundation was geared towards that population, that demographic. And uh, there are are churches in it uh, who, are fully committed to us in that I am their covering bishop. There are others who belong to denominations, but they wanted the connection. They wanted to be able to uh, allow me to feed into them, pour into them uh, and things like that. So they submit to me, but they also have a denominational affiliation. And we meet once a year in October for our annual conference, but then we also do regional events throughout the year as well. Everything's been virtual 2020, but it's still been good. Now, let me say a word to Pastor.
1: Yes, please.
0: Um, This has been some of the most challenging times. I said, and I know you've got to go, and I've got, I have this funeral in 14 minutes. Um, I said to my leaders the other day that I am now in the second year of my pastorate, And they looked, it was a virtual, I wish you could have seen the wall, the face. They were like, what are you talking, So I said, this man's having a breakdown. And I said to them, I pastored four years in Warren, Ohio. I'm in my 39th year here, but guess what? I'm really in my second huh. year. Yeah. Because yeah. 2020 changed everything.
1: everything.
0: The way I pastored in Warren and for 38 years here no longer exists. And so I am in my second year of pastoral ministry. If a pastor doesn't understand that, he or she is in a world of trouble. If you are planning to keep pastoring the way you pastored pre-2020, you're not going to be effective. And chances are you're going to soon get frustrated because the times we live in will demand a different approach to ministry. I want to encourage pastors then to have three things elasticity, the ability to stretch. I need you to have a sense of excitement. Don't bemoan these days. Celebrate this moment, and then I want you to have heightened expectation. Set yourself on the watchtower. See what God's going to say and what God is going to do. If you have those three things, you're going to make it.
1: So, elasticity,
0: expectation. What was the middle one again? And a sense of excitement. Excitement. Don't yeah, moan. Don't don't, don't. don't. All these are bad. No. Get. Get excited about these times. So have elasticity. Stretch. Get excited, exuberant. These are great days to be alive. Expectation. I wonder what God's up to.
1: <laughs> that is awesome, Bishop. I think that sounds that sounds like an article. We need to get that into an article. First.
0: <laughs> yes, sir. Let's, let's talk about it. I may write on that for Christianity today. That yes, is an
1: sir. awesome topic. Well, Bishop, again, this is Bishop Timothy J. Clark with an E at the end at First Church of God in Columbus, Ohio. Like I said, you got to look this guy up. You got to check this guy out. He's the real deal. He's real gold. Um, and it is just a privilege talking to you, a privilege here. So thank you, Bishop. And
0: love you, bro. Love you.
1: Yeah, love you, too. And we're going to do that steak dinner.
0: Gibson's. Okay. And then when you come here, Smith and Walensky's. We'll do both of them, okay? We're going we to do them both, man. Okay. I'm saving up my money right now. <laughs> Well, God bless you on the
1: funeral that you have, Bishop, and uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for being with us, listening to this episode of Monday Morning Preacher.